Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I may have just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing okay. Saw that there's a uh, new John Wick movie coming out pretty soon. That seems fun. I'm a little bit concerned that he'll be a less effective murderman now that the other murdermen have banned him from their little uh, murderman version of Diagon Alley. But, seeing as this is purportedly the final installment of the franchise, I am looking forward to them clearing up something from the first John Wick movie. And that is the fact that, for some reason, all of the Russian mobsters referred to him as Baba Yaga. It makes me wonder if this is the Baba Yaga origin story updated for modern times, and at the end of this movie, he ends up moving into a house that's on chicken legs and starts flying around in a mortar and carrying a pestle. Like, maybe he can also have a scene where he picks up, like, a giant pestle and it, like, feels right in his hands and he's like, Pestle? I thought I was supposed to be using a pistol! And then he rides a pig into battle against a crocodile on an old woodblock print. Yeah, that's probably what happens in the movie. And, perhaps coincidentally, everything that I can remember about Baba Yaga. Maybe John Wick's Baba Yaga origin story is only the first in a series of films that are going to be a shared universe based on old Russian folktales. I can't wait for the grim and gritty reimagining of the tale of the gigantic turnip. Ooh, I hope the turnip shows up in the post credit scene of this movie. Well, we eagerly await the cinematic adaptations of tales of oversized root vegetables. Let's talk about a comic, shall we? Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Bridger Bishop. A titan introduced Cheshire to maternal bliss, and Ganark went missing, so could the child be his? Is there a caveman's love child in this synopsis? No, no there isn't. But maybe next issue. Who knows? Thanks, Bridger. Tales of the Teen Titans, number 54. June, 1985. Blind Justice. Oh, huh, like that Rutger Hauer movie where he's a weird mix of, like, Shokasugi and Mr. Magoo. That's a bad movie. Anyway, this Blind Justice is written by Marv Wolfman, drawed by Rich Buckler, inked by Dick Giordano and Mike DiCarlo, lettered by John Costanza, and colored by Adrian Roy. Teen Titan Roll Call. Cyborg. Wonder Girl. Nightwing. Starfire. Beast Boy. And... Lilith, previously in Tales of the Teen Titans. Jericho and his mom were off dealing with the aftermath of their adventures in a lazily renamed racist caricature of the Middle East, and Raven had been standing on a stalagmite in a weird pocket dimension and yelling about her feelings for a few issues. The Titans weren't too short-handed, though, because Lilith, a red-haired occasional psychic and former team member who had been in town for Wonder Girl's wedding, had agreed to stick around and lend a hand. Hooray! Gar Logan, a.k.a. Beast Boy, had recently managed to limbo under the nearly subterranean bar set by his previous behavior and act like even more of an asshole than usual. 
Ever since his former teammate Terra betrayed the Titans and accidentally eviled herself to death in an attempt to destroy them, Gar had been behaving erratically, assigning sole responsibility for the dirt distributing Double Agent's demise to her partner Slade Wilson, aka Deathstroke the Terminator, a superpowered assassin who uses 90% of his brain but only 50% of his eyeballs. The verdant vigilante swore vengeance upon the monocular mercenary and had been obsessively following Slade's pending court case. Speaking of Deathstroke, while the Cyclopean supervillain was in police custody, someone wearing his costume attacked Lilith as she approached the Titan Tower. The psychic teen was forced to dive from the Titan's barge into the Hudson River. She arrived at the tower shaken, soggy, and confused, but otherwise unharmed. While Gar was attending Wilson's pretrial, the rest of our titular teenagers swung by Star Labs to accompany Cyborg on an errand. The scientists there had found a winged alien and his spaceship frozen in the ice in a cave in Alaska. When the Titans arrived, the alien broke free from his captivity. He had no memory, but immediately formed a strong psychic bond with Lilith. The Aubentress Titan rushed to assist the amnesiac alien angel in his attempt to escape, and in the process began displaying pyrokinetic abilities that her teammates had never seen. With no evidence to support his theory and over Lilith's objections to the contrary, Nightwing immediately leapt to the conclusion that the alien was somehow controlling Lilith and that she was acting against her will. The assumption-prone acrobat ordered the rest of the team to attack their newly flame-flinging friend and her extraterrestrial amigo. In the initial skirmish, Lilith was knocked unconscious and her pugilism-prone purported protagonist spent the majority of the issue chasing the amnesiac alien angel around the city and trying to punch and kick him. Eventually, the frightened flying fugitive managed to escape and the Titans headed to court to meet with Gar and testify at Deathstroke's arraignment. The judge presiding over the hearings turned out to be none other than the not-so-honorable Adrian Chase. Oh no! The former world's worst district attorney who moonlighted as the imaginatively named murderous vigilante, the Vigilante, had somehow managed to fail up and trade his signature ski mask for a slimming black robe. Shockingly, despite his history of violating the law to mete out his own warped brand of alleged justice, Chase was determined to hold a fair and impartial trial. Throughout the proceedings, Beast Boy had been growing increasingly agitated and had repeatedly stood up and yelled dumb shit. He had been warned repeatedly by Judge Chase to knock it off, but when it appeared that Wilson's defense team was successfully casting doubt on whether Slade was the individual wearing the Deathstroke mask at the time of the crimes in question, Gar Logan rose to his feet, shouted no, and prepared to do something alarmingly in character. Which is to say, stupid. Gadzooks! Will our Emerald Adolescent's acrimonious antics enable his antagonist's acquittal? Is world's worst district attorney Adrian Chase now the world's worst judge? And how does Cyborg's grandmother Maud feel about plastic? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so despite his best efforts, not quite. Surprisingly, no. Other than refusing to recuse himself from a trial involving people he has a complicated past with, he actually does a pretty decent job. And she's against it. Gar follows up his indignant outburst of disbelief by turning himself into an array of animals and physically attacking Slade Wilson as he sits at the defense table with his lawyer. As the vengeful verdant vigilante presses his attack, he continues his tirade about what a murderous jerkwad Wilson is, reasserting his previous charge that Deathstroke is responsible for the death of Terra. He follows that up by yelling, And what about the time you murdered me, huh? What about that? Then he changes into an elephant and tries to sit on the depth perception deficient defendant. Well, that's certainly an unconventional legal tactic. I'll allow it, but you'd better be going somewhere with this, Mr. Logan. Unfortunately, he is. The other Titans argue briefly about who gets to beat up Gar. 
Cyborg attempts to intervene, but a berserk beast boy bats him aside. Eventually, Wonder Girl manages to lasso the rampaging green teenager, and Judge Chase is able to at least temporarily restore order to the courtroom. The defense counsel, rather reasonably, requests that Beast Boy be held in contempt of court. Chase considers this, but in light of Gar's age, he instead just bans him from the courtroom for the remainder of the trial. Well, if it makes the defense attorney feel any better, I still hold Gar in contempt. Strangely, as Gar exits the courtroom, a satisfied smirk is on his lips. Hmm. Meanwhile, that amnesiac alien angel from before is still flying around the town. The winged wanderer muses to himself, Gee, I know I just met her, but I think I love that Lilith lady. Also, I still have amnesia. Later that afternoon in the Titan's conspicuous T-shaped headquarters, the gang tries to get in touch with Beast Boy, but to no avail. Pretending not to be relieved at this turn of events, our titular teenagers turn their attention to uncovering the identity of the phony Deathstroke who attacked Lilith the other day. Having no other leads to go on, Donna, Dick, and Starfire arrange to meet with Wilson's butler Wintergreen and see if the well-mannered British manservant can provide them with any information. They meet Wintergreen down by the west side docks. Oh good, the docks. Hey, here's a tip for you listeners. If you ever find yourself in a comic book and are looking to have a peaceful, conflict-free afternoon, here are some places you might want to avoid. Circuses, warehouses, Central Park, and most of all, the docks. Sure, you might run into Stephen Dorff following my advice from the previous episode and unloading boxes, but you're much more likely to be attacked by a supervillain. Sure enough, soon after Wintergreen greets the trio of teenagers and genially informs them that he has no idea who's been impersonating his employer, the foursome is besieged by a barrage of laser blasts. From high atop a nearby ocean liner, someone wearing the Deathstroke uniform aims the complimentary color-clad mercenary's signature high-tech staff at Wintergreen and the Titans and opens fire on them, taking care to make sure that he doesn't actually hit them. Curiouser and curiouser. Once he has gotten the hero's attention, the counterfeit criminal leads them on a chase round the docks, deftly avoiding capture and occasionally remarking aloud that he, Deathstroke the Terminator, definitely isn't Slade Wilson, and he sure hopes that any witnesses who hear him say that remember it. As soon as he is sure that he has been seen and heard, the Deathstroke doppelganger jumps on a motorboat and speeds off. Starfire pursues him, but when she uses her magic space lasers to fire a warning shot across the bow of the boat, the vessel combusts instantly in an enormous explosion. She heads back to the docks to meet up with Dick and Donna, who lament the fact that they never got a chance to unmask the artificial assassin and find out who he really was. Ooh, ooh, I hope it was Old Man McGinty, the owner of the abandoned roller coaster museum. Maybe when the gang does find Beast Boy, they can get him to turn himself into a green Great Dane so that they can all play Scooby-Doo together. Seems like that'd be the least he could do after all the trouble he's caused. Then those meddling kids could ruin all the masked villain's schemes. Roray! Meanwhile, across town at Star Labs, Vic is meeting with some scientists, when his rad globetrotting grandparents burst in and start berating him lovingly. It seems that he left some science notes lying around the apartment, and his grandmother Maud figured out that the mostly metal Marvel was planning to replace all of his shiny metal robot parts with more conventionally human-looking plastic parts that better match his skin tone. Maud is worried that the operation is dangerous and unnecessary. Vic and his science pals explain that the procedure is relatively easy and perfectly safe, and that being able to disguise his mechanized body parts would make his life a lot easier. 
Eventually, Maud reluctantly relents and agrees not to interfere. She makes it clear, however, that she disagrees both with her grandson and with Mr. McGuire from The Graduate. In the opinion of Maud Stone, there is not a fantastic future in plastics. The next day in court, Lilith testifies. The defense counselor gets her to reveal that she was recently attacked by a guy in a Deathstroke uniform. Later, when Nightwing testifies, the defense asks him to remove his mask. He refuses, and the lawyer makes the point that just as we cannot be sure that Nightwing is not someone else pretending to be Nightwing, we also cannot be sure that there is not more than one individual using the name Deathstroke, and that the second, non-Slade Wilson Terminator, might be the one who committed the crimes that are being discussed today. Okay, that's a pretty slick argument. But, one, if Nightwing really wanted to prove his identity, he could just bend over. It's been canonically established that he has an instantly identifiable butt. And B, what motivation is there to impersonate Deathstroke in 1985? It'll be years before Rob Liefeld makes being a Deathstroke knockoff profitable. After Judge Adrian Chase goes into his chambers to deliberate, Lilith turns to her teammates and is like, Okay, now that that's over with, you guys can fuck right off. I'm out of here. You attacked that alien angel guy for no goddamn reason and knocked me out in the process. That was some straight-up bullshit. Dick is confused and replies, But we thought he was mind-controlling you and gave you firepowers against your will. We were trying to save you. Lilith is like, Yeah, but I told you repeatedly he wasn't and that I was acting of my own accord. Dick insists, But there's no way we could have known that without listening to you, and I wasn't about to start doing that. Be reasonable. Lilith reveals that her fire starter powers started years ago when she was with the Titans the first time. She didn't want to talk about them then, because their intensity increased when she was stressed out, and talking with the Titans stressed her out. That's why she left the team the first time. She thought things might be different this time around, but after seeing the way the team treated the forgetful flying fugitive, she realized that Dick is the same Dick he's always been. Well, that's not entirely fair he has made some significant changes. Now he's got a popped collar and a deep v-neck and pants. Sartorial improvements notwithstanding, Lilith has had enough and storms off. Soon thereafter, Judge Adrian Chase returns from his deliberating. He finds that there is insufficient evidence to conclude beyond doubt that Slade Wilson was the same Deathstroke that committed the crimes he is accused of, so he is forced to dismiss most of the charges against him. However, at the time of his arrest, Wilson was in possession of some illegal firearms, and there is a mandatory one-year sentence for that crime. As a smug Slade Wilson exits the courtroom, confident that his lawyers will beat the sole remaining charge against him, he stops and gloats at the Titans for a minute, reminding them that he, not unlike anyone else who has been paying even a little bit of attention, knows their secret identities, and advises them to stay out of his way in the future. Meanwhile, in the palatial Dayton estate in the East Hamptons, Starfire stands in Gar Logan's room, holding a glass of milk, and tells the shape-shifting team that she has always found him incredibly sexy. Fortunately, before I am forced to gouge my eyeballs out and flush them down the toilet, the scene is interrupted. Steve Dayton barges into his son's room, and the image of Starfire instantly disappears. It turns out that Beast Boy was using his dad's magic hat, the Mento Helmet, to create the illusion of his friend and teammate coming on to him. Phew! Also, gross! Steve berates Gar and after admonishing his pervy progeny, takes the Freshmaker hat back to his room. As he does so, Gar thinks to himself that that's fine, he had already used the helmet's illusion-creating powers to satisfy his dark desire. Aw, gross! Damn it, Gar! 
his dark desire to see Deathstroke avoid serious jail time, that is, so that Gar could seek his own deadly vengeance on the supervillain. Oh. Okay. I mean, you know, still bad and dumb, but at least... Anyway, turns out that Gar figured Slade would be harder to murder if he was in jail, so he swiped his dad's magic hat and used it to impersonate Deathstroke in the hopes that the charges would be dropped. The only thing he hadn't counted on was the most unlikely twist in this entire storyline so far. Adrian Chase being a vaguely competent judge. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? Pretty good. A little tired. Went on a giant bicycle ride earlier today. Now, do you mean that you rode a giant bicycle, like one of those velocipedes, I believe they were called, with the big front wheel and the little back wheels? No, I think those are silly. Uh, the brand of the bicycle is Giant. Oh. Like, that's the name of it. I once saw for sale a children's bike that they make that was called Giant Lil Pudding. What? It was all over the map. It was the name of that, like, child's bicycle just took me on an emotional roller coaster. Did you buy that? No, it was like $300. Oh, that's too much for a giant little pudding. <laughs> I know. But still. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, I meant by giant, I meant it was far. Oh, right. Yeah, you went with your dad, right? Yep. Turns out, for a 70-something-year-old guy, he's in super good bicycle shape. He bicycles all the time everywhere. It's intimidating. Yeah, and then some guy went by really fast on some fancy bike, and my dad took off after him. <laughs> did he catch him? Yep. Nice. What did he do when he caught him? Uh, he just slowed down and waited for me. <laughs> it was just a catch-and-release bicycle race? Yeah, he said, oh, I just wanted to see if I could catch up with him. You know, I probably could have done that for 15 miles or so, but I would have paid a price. Man. So it's good to know. What a badass. <laughs> yeah. I know. I hope when I'm 70-something, I'm, I hurt so much right now. I hope that I don't hurt <laughs> that much then. Good call. Well, bicycle rides aside, what'd you think about this comic book? I liked it actually quite a bit. I did too. I was kind of surprised. I had such a strong negative reaction to the previous issue, which in some ways set up this issue, that I was not looking forward to reading it, frankly, but it was great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like in terms of character development, or at least just getting to know the characters a bit mm -hmm. better, it went pretty good. The courtroom procedural stuff was pretty fun. I really enjoyed that, yeah. And I gotta say, Adrian Chase is a better judge than I would have suspected, based on his previous courtroom behavior. He even has that little, like, inner monologue where he's just like, oh man, this fucking sucks, but I'm not the vigilante anymore. Not the what? Vigilante. <laughs> oh. Anymore. That's how he said it, right? <laughs> right, probably. Yeah. Yeah, he, he has a real, uh, Trebequois accent. Yeah, the accent is silent. I mean... But deadly. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Overall, a pretty decent book. I had some issues with some of what went on in it, but was overall pretty happy with it. Mm. So, uh, let's get into the uh, nitty-gritty of it, shall we? Yep. First of all, the art was gorgeous. Indeed. Still miss George Perez on the art, but we have... The additional ink supplied to this by Dick Giordano in addition to Mike DiCarlo. I think DiCarlo has been doing a pretty decent job with Rich Buckler's art, but 
I love Dick Giordano and the faces seemed more expressive in this issue and also more what I would expect the Teen Titans to look like. And I'm going to give a lot of the credit to that to Dick Giordano. Yeah, I think that's fair. I still miss the extreme detail that Perez would get into, especially in the science like Star Labs. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, especially the Perez and like Romeo Tangal combination. Yeah, but I think I just have to let that go because yep. that's not everybody who's going to do it's, that. It's a crazy standard. I don't think anybody else can do that. But overall, I thought the art was, was pretty good. So a few different Titans go on kind of a, an emotional arc in this issue. One of the less extreme examples is Cyborg. But Cyborg has some some stuff happen on a couple of fronts. First of all, he stops by Star Labs and wants to see if they can replace his obviously robotic parts with more traditionally human-looking parts, and they think they can. Mm -hmm. And then his grandparents show up and are a fucking delight. As always. As always, but especially in this one, I really enjoyed mod she got in some good little weird digs <laughs> stuff your butt <laughs> she doesn't sounds... say stuff your butt she that says sounds... stuff your butts it's um because he has several robotic butts now out of context <laughs> i actually had to reread that because i didn't realize the scientist that she was responding to had ended his sentence or was <laughs> attempting to say but Yeah, yeah, no, and she responds by saying, Stuff your butts there, Mr. Scientist. This is between me and my grandchild. (laughs) Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, I like to believe that she is talking to the assembled scientists and telling them that they should all stuff their butts with whatever they want. Mostly knowledge. Oh, that would be an interesting way to ingest knowledge. Well, they're scientists. Yeah, they could probably make up some kind of a knowledge (laughs) suppository. (laughs) The other thing that she says that absolutely delighted me was when Cyborg is talking about having his robot-y looking parts uh, made with more flesh-like plastic. Mm-hmm. Her response is, plastic? Harumph! My grandchild deserves better in plastic. Don't you got no flesh-colored aluminum or something? Mm-hmm. That was really fun. And yeah, Cyborg has a really nice reaction shot and moment to that where he's like, oh, Grandma, what are we going to do with you? So I'm glad that he has mended fences with his globetrotting grandparents. He also was one of a couple of Titans who was fighting for the privilege of beating up Beast Boy in court. Mm-hmm. There's a moment where Wonder Girl gets up and is just like, I'll lasso him. And Cyborg kind of pushes her aside and is like, no, 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 let me handle this my way. And his way is to just kind of Stand run on. in there and try to fight mm-hmm. Beast Boy. And then Wonder Girl ends up having to lasso Beast Boy anyway. But I like the idea that there's just kind of within the Titans, like, okay, if we get an opportunity to beat up Beast Boy, we have to take turns. Because that is something we all want to do very badly. But Cyborg's just like, nope, I'm in. Yep, he, he cut in line. So one of the reasons, perhaps, that they are all so keen on beating up Beast Boy is because Beast Boy is the fucking worst. Beast Boy is the worst. Yeah, he really is in this in this issue specifically. We find out that his previous outbursts in court when he was just kind of standing up and yelling, No! And what about the time he tried to murder me? What about that? Uh, we're all part of an elaborate plan that he had because he wants Slade Wilson to be acquitted so that he can kill him. 
Yeah. So as they were leading up to this, where he turns into all these animals and tries to beat him up in court and gets thrown out of court and then mm-hmm. like kind of smiles to himself and is like, ah, oh, yes, my plan is proceeding. Yeah. I had this moment of hope of like, oh, man, is he up to some really cool, complicated shit? Nope. No, it's a pretty dumb plan. He just wants him acquitted so that he can try to kill him, which it's already been established that he can't. And so on one hand, I'm mad at him for screwing up the case and all of this. Right. On the other hand, the world's worst district attorney turned judge turned judge is presiding. So I will say world's worst district attorney, not the world's worst judge. I was, shall I say, pleasantly surprised. I think you shall. In fact, I think you just did. Yeah, I was as well. I still don't think he should have that job. Like, I'm all for second chances, but he specifically violated and obstructed the law and the courtroom and the court systems. Like, yes, he should get a second chance to be a productive member of society, but, like, I would be okay if if he is truly rehabilitated. Maybe he could own a bakery or something, you know? <laughs> Or maybe if he wants to use his expertise that he's developed, maybe do some kind of a free legal aid as a consultant. But he should not be allowed in a courtroom. It's like if you had a guy who was convicted of, like, murdering and mutilating fishes, then, well, he's paid his debt to society. I see no reason why he shouldn't work at this aquarium. As a fish doctor. Bottom line, I don't think Adrian Chase should be in a courtroom unless he is being tried for one of his many, many crimes. Well... I was going to say tough but fair, but it's just how it is. Yeah, that's how it should be. That's how it should be. No, it's lenient and fair. Mm, Lenient and fair. That's how they describe me. But that being said, he actually respects the law as a judge, which Mm -hmm. wasn't a pleasant surprise for me. Calls Gar out on a whole, he killed me. Yeah, but you're here, so. Yeah, um... Yeah, that whole he murdered me, but I got better thing you're you're trying out for here. That's really not going to win you over any members of the jury. Right. Although there isn't a jury. And that was one of the things that I was a little bit confused about. Because he does say that there's a jury and that the jurors shouldn't talk about the case during the recess. But then he just makes the decision himself. It seems like this is a pretrial to determine if there is going to be a jury trial. There's a lot about the law I don't understand. I might be missing something there, but it was kind of confusing to me. Yeah, me as well. I just assumed that the folks working on the book sort of just like, ah, we'll just do this. Fair enough. Gar's plan to get the case thrown out of court. Do you think that was the plan that Wolfman had for him when he wrote the last issue? Or was that something, was that like a last minute, like rewrite retcon thing? Because it didn't seem like they were leading up to that before. And then in this issue, I don't hate it as a twist, but it didn't seem like anything that they had been preparing us for. Gar having a an outburst that is unplanned and has bad results is, in my I, my thinking, a much more likely scenario. It really does, than him having a master plan. Yeah. It really does seem that way. I wonder if maybe he... What he did have planned just didn't work out. But I do think this is interesting. Although, I gotta say, if Beast Boy wanted to murder Slade Wilson, he could do it while Slade Wilson was in custody. Like, he can turn into animals. It would be really easy if he wanted to, like, murder somebody, which it seems like he does, turn into a fly, go into his cell room, and then turn into, like, a fucking pistol shrimp or 
like blue jellyfish or, or something poisonous. Super poisonous. Yeah. Platypus. Yeah, turn into a giant platypus. Poke him with your spurs. Poke him with your venomous spurs. And then secrete some milk. Lay an egg. You're out of there. And the next person in that sauce is like, what the <laughs> fuck just happened here? Exactly. They'll be so confused. <laughs> They're not prepared for monotremes. Nope. Nobody is. No, but... The thing is, they're not going to look at that scene and think, ah, monotremes. They're just going to look at it and think, what the fuck? We got eggs, milk, dead assassin. This wasn't on my shopping list. There's no butter. No loaf of bread. <laughs> exactly. No container of milk. Of There's it. no container for this milk. It's just loose platypus milk on the floor. <laughs> what a disaster. Who will clean this up? Oh, what a mess. <laughs> Speaking of milk... Let's talk about the other super fucked up thing that Beast Boy does in this issue. Mm. At the very end, we see that he has stolen his dad's magic hat and been using it to A, pretend to be Deathstroke the Terminator, which is a little bit confusing because I guess maybe I just don't fully understand the way that the hat works or maybe Beast Boy doesn't understand the way that the hat works because it looks like he was projecting an image of Deathstroke the Terminator over himself and then him still running around and doing flippy shit and stuff it seems like he could have just stood off to the side and projected an image of that happening maybe he's not as good at the magic hat yeah i don't know because do the projections from the magic hat have the power to shoot power blasts or whatever yeah i i don't know or convince the people that that is what is happening maybe hmm the powers and limitations of the magic hat are uh, a little bit nebulous, but it did create some confusion for me in that regard. In addition to using the magic hat to uh, attempted murder his friends, I mean, you know, I guess pretend attempted murder? To, how do you say it, to stop the wheels of justice? Yes, to uh, throw platypus milk on the <laughs> to... face of justice. Yeah, to... Uh... To throw the proverbial wooden shoes into the gears of justice. That's yep. where the word sabotage comes from. What? Yeah, wooden shoes are sabot. And, you know, yeah. Like Dutch shoes? Yeah. And so you would uh, throw a, I don't know, probably a shoe in a windmill. And then uh, that fucks up the windmill. Oh, man. Sabotage. I did not know that. Yeah. Is it a French word? Sounds French. I know that in... My 8th grade French class, we did have to sing a song about wooden shoes. Ho, 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 avec mes sabots. It's a with my wooden shoes. Ah. The O, O, O is the same in both languages. I see. I'm telling all of y'all, it's sabotage. O, O, O. See, I felt like the Beastie Boys sabotage video, well, it was a really well done, like, uh, homage and pastiche of cop shows from the 70s and 80s not enough wooden shoes in that video well clearly somebody it's like cut down to the do feet their, uh... and be see some fucking clogs up in that shit mm, damn i would really bring it home would have made you think would have made me think why the hell do they have these clogs because yeah. i didn't know that and then you would have done a little bit of research and find out that spike jones was on some next level shit there was that spike jones that did that one i, I feel like it was assume so yeah probably i don't know anyway wooden shoes aside Briefly, let's talk about the most fucked up thing that Gar does in this. Uh, he uses his dad's magic hat to like holodeck horn dog on his teammate. 
He projects an image of Starfire over himself and then comes onto himself in a mirror. And it's really, really weird. Like, that's really gross and creepy. And it's especially disconcerting that, like, he stole his dad's magic hat, which is a big fucking deal, which is super dangerous. I understand, okay, he he broke the rules because he has this plan. His judgment is clouded because he wants to seek vengeance. But then having him keep the hat to just, like, have a masturbatory fantasy about his pal is super fucked up. And it seems like it's played for laughs. And it really struck me as just, like, an off thing. I didn't care for it. But what's especially weird about it, because as fucked up as it is, it is not at all out of character for Beast Boy. She's holding a glass of milk the whole time. And we see that it's not that Beast Boy's holding a glass of milk. He is, though. No, he's not. What? No, see? The glass of milk disappears. That's part of the mental projection. Oh, you're right. So, does he have a weird milk fetish? Oh, no. That's a thing, probably. It probably is, and it actually makes sense symbolically. Uh, I know that when I watched for a film class, uh, Francois Truffaut's 400 Blows, there's a scene in which the kid in the movie, uh, who is the focus of the film, steals milk, and that it's this symbolic thing where he's replacing his mother and becoming his own parent. I wonder if that's what's going on symbolically with Beast Boy seeing Starfire as some kind of a a mother figure that he has a weird Oedipal obsession with. Well, then it gets even more fucked up because one of the things that he makes her say is that she wants to have his babies. Exactly. Whoa. Uh-huh. Guy needs, that kid's messed up. Needs some talk therapy and... He needs some punch therapy. Drugs. <laughs> what? <laughs> like drugs did not make him be such a jerk. <laughs> I thought you said jugs. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Corey. No. <laughs> You medication. Medication. <laughs> okay. Yeah, properly prescribed, <laughs> judiciously, you know, applied. Yeah. It was weird and creepy. I mean, the other thing, maybe it wasn't milk. Did you assume it was milk in the glass? It looks like milk, right? Uh, I did not make that assumption. I oh, okay. Maybe I, maybe I just had Truffaut on the brain. It just looked like it was, I think it's milk. Yeah. But the other option is that perhaps it is a free soda. And he is combining his fantasies of receiving more complimentary sodas from his friend Wonder Girl. Mm -hmm. And just kind of conflating them and having this overall fantasy image. Either way, it's creepy. Yeah, you should not use your stepdad's incredibly powerful magic science tools to have gross fantasies about your teammates. Yeah. Especially when you have a pretty rad girlfriend that you're ignoring most of the time. That too. Bad job, Beast Boy. Not surprised. No. But still But disappointed. disappointed. Yeah. I don't know if that would have the same effect it had on me as a young person having a authority figure tell you that they are disappointed. But that's oh. like a pretty powerful tool. Maybe that's the problem that he has. Maybe if Steve t- Dayton told him that he was disappointed in him more... Rather than just calling him names. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that is satisfying. It seems like Steve Dayton's going through some shit right now. And he hasn't really been, I gotta say, overall, a strong father figure to Beast Boy. Despite some early on, like I think issue 12 or whatever, it seemed like he was going to get his shit together and try to be a good dad. He hasn't. And then all of his other dads have died or tried to kill him. Which, you know, I kind of (laughs) get. But I'm sure they were all disappointed. I wonder if they said it. And 
I think maybe they didn't say it enough. Mm-hmm. I think maybe they're they're missing out. They missed out on that tender deathbed moment where Beast Boy comes and sees them, and they say, "Son, I know I didn't say it much, but I meant it every day. I'm very disappointed in you." End scene. Yeah, he definitely didn't get enough of the right type of negative reinforcement. It's a damn shame. Returning to Cyborg for a second, mm. one of the things that Maudie said to him really threw me for kind of a loop. She mentioned that she had six children, of which his father was one, and three of them are no longer with her, and how she didn't want to lose any grandchildren. And that was poignant, but it also made me think, wait, that dude has aunts and uncles, and none of them showed up when his dad died either? What is up with the Stone family? And then that made me think... Wait, Stone family? Family Stone? Sly? Is Sly Stone Vic's uncle? Oh, shit. We do know that Maudie and Tucker were in the entertainment industry, and Sly Stone's dad was a Bay Area radio DJ. Mm. I think maybe Sly Stone might be related to Cyborg. Dang. And is a bad uncle. Yeah, despite being thankful and thoughtful as a Sly and the Family Stone song. What album was that off of? The one where it's like a white background and he's doing like a disco kick. Ah, fresh. Yeah, fresh. Man, that's a good album. Mm -hmm. Also, there's a riot going on. Underrated. Mm. But I am honestly not that surprised to hear that he is not the best uncle. Well, he is busy doing Doing all the drugs. (laughs) All the drugs in the world. And possibly dating Doris Day. What? Really? Apparently. That was... I listened to this podcast that was called, uh, You Must Remember This, and they did, like, a 15-part series on the Manson family murders, and really the only thing that I took away from that was that there was a rumor going around Hollywood at the time that Sly Stone was dating Doris Day. You know, I've been kind of... My partner has been watching the show Aquarius, which deals with the whole Manson family Mm -hmm. thing. And I don't think that they mentioned that as I've been kind of watching it over her shoulder. Well, that seems like a huge oversight on their part. It's a missed opportunity. It really is. Like, I think (laughs) David Duchovny, who plays the lead detective, could have taken a whole scene exploring that. At least one. At least. It's important. I think that should be a few episodes. Let's get to the bottom of this. Yeah. Come on. We already know the Manson thing, what happened. Yeah. So... So take some time to speculate wildly on some rumors that I heard. It's the responsible thing to do as a showrunner. Yeah, showrunners. Otherwise, great job. Well, oh, I haven't seen it. It's a good show. I've only watched it peripherally, but what little bits I've seen, it seems like it's pretty well put together. And it's called Age of Aquarius? I think it's just called Aquarius. It's called Aquarius. Is Aquarius from the last issue that we covered in it? Does he hang out in a lawn chair and drink some beers? No. A lot of missed opportunities I in that show, it say, seems like. Miss. Yeah. So, entertainment folks, if you're listening, if you need showrunners who know what to do, give us a call. Yeah, hit us up, Hollyweird. We'll work for relatively cheap. The other main titan who has a pretty decent emotional narrative in this story is Lilith. Yeah. I was really happy for her. Me too. Also, though, I don't know, I felt a little bit bummed out that... So Dick Grayson not being the greatest listener is not a huge surprise to me. It isn't. The way that he doubled down on it was disappointing to me. That was disappointing. And then 
also the fact that she was basically never really comfortable bringing her story forward to the rest of the gang. Mm-hmm. Ostensibly, they were pretty tight as a group. Yeah. It's a bummer. We're seeing her side of that being maybe a little bit different. And we don't know what the group dynamics were of it. I know they treated her pretty shitty at first when she was perhaps accidentally coded as Asian for the first couple appearances that she had. It was a group that was like Speedy and Wally and yes, Mal and Wonder Girl and sometimes Robin. But Robin was way more of a dick in the old Titans days. It sounds like from what she's saying here, it was actually just not a good relationship for her to be in with the group that she was ostracized. She felt uncomfortable around them. And it was a stressful relationship for her to have and being with them stressed her out. And the idea of bringing that topic up stressed her out. It seems like it was kind of a toxic environment for her. Mm-hmm. That's what's disappointing. It is. It, it's disappointing to hear that that was the case. But I'm very proud of her for getting out of what she sees as that relationship and being like, you know what? Fuck you guys. And I was willing to try to make a fresh go of it and put that stuff behind me. But the way you treated that amnesiac alien angel, you attacked him for no reason. And Dick tries to double down and be like, well, we assumed that he was hurting you. And she's like, I was standing there telling you that he wasn't. Mm -hmm. I really appreciated that. And it made me feel so much better after the last issue that the acknowledgement by the creators that, yes, that was a fucked up thing for these characters to do. And it's not something that we're condoning. I think Dick tries to double down on it and is like, how could we have possibly known that that was the case? It's like, well, you could have fucking listened to her. Mm -hmm. So Starfire gets it right away. She's like, oh, shit. Yeah, you're right. We fucked up. And Wonder Girl's like... Maybe we shouldn't attack everybody. And then yeah. Dick's like, fuck all that. It's like, <laughs> nope, we had to do it. We can't read somebody's heart, and we can't be guided by that even if we could. It's like, what, you could... We just have to attack him. Yeah, stuff. you could listen to her it's words. The only, it's the only thing it's like, can do. Look, given that I am not going to listen to people when they say things, what else can we do? Fight. I've tried not listening. That doesn't work. I'm all out of ideas. What a turd. Speaking of turds, Lilith said something that I slightly misread, I think. Normally the lettering in this has been pretty crisp and pretty consistent. There is the scene where Lilith is talking to them. I was a little bit confused at first because I thought that she was talking to Nightwing, Mm -hmm. but I think she was talking to Wonder Girl. Okay, she says, saving me? God, you don't even know why I left the Titans in the first place. It's not our fault if you don't tell us. You want to know? Okay. You know I've been searching for my past. We often talked about that. We were two peas in a pod, except you knew how you got your powers and I didn't. Couple of things about that. First, I thought she was talking to Nightwing and she's like, wait, does she mean his powers of being an acrobat? Did he tell her he had superpowers? Because when she first came to the team was during the period where they had all vowed never to use their powers again. Mm -hmm. Did she think Nightwing was the only one who was keeping that promise? Oh. Oh, yeah, man. I can shoot lasers out of my eyes, but my word is my bond. Never again. Said I wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. But I'm pretty sure she's talking to Wonder Girl. Yep. Me too. If she was talking to Nightwing, she might have said what I thought she said the first couple of times that I read this. We were two peas in a poo. (laughs) oh no i really like that phrase it kind of means the same thing like (laughs) i don't think so i mean it would be like if you were two similar people 
who had a lot in common, who were in a very bad situation. Right, yeah, that's not... two peas and a poo. Like, if you're on a road trip, car breaks down in the middle of the desert? Yeah, yeah, it would be your way of, like, saying, hey, we're in this together, man. This sucks, but at least we've got each other. Hey, man, we're just two peas and a poo. Ah, all right. You ready to get into the minutiae? I think so. Okay. Rick... Would you mind singing us in? We got minutiae. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutiae. Like Corey eating farts. We got minutiae. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Corey, what was your favorite sound effect? So, I don't know if it technically qualifies as a sound effect because it's just somebody's name, but it's written in really big red letters. I had the same one, and I think it's a sound effect. Okay. I don't think it is Steve Dayton yelling at Beast Boy. Hmm. What I think is happening in that panel, and we were talking about... uh, Page 23, maybe? Tough to tell. It's confusing. The pages in this are not numbered except for page 20, and it being numbered page 20 didn't really line up with how I was trying to count it when I tried to count pages. So it's on the last page of the issue. And the word LOGAN! appears in giant red letters on top of the panel where his concentration is broken and then his dad bursts into the room. Mm -hmm. So I think a traditional read of that would be his dad yells Logan and then he is startled and then his dad bursts into the room. Mm -hmm. I choose to think of it as Logan is the sound effect of the noise when he creepies so hard that it starts to break his dad's magic hat. Like when you are creepy that hard as hard as he is being when he is having his weird milk and teammate fetish i think it just kind of made something snap in the universe and the noise that that kind of creepiness makes is just logan and that alerted his dad that something was going on he's like wait a minute that sounds like the noise of somebody being super creepy and then he burst into the room oh man if that was the case his dad would just be like immune to that sound just <laughs> Logan just tunes it out it's just like white noise to yeah. him <laughs> it's like oh I can't sleep unless I hear the universe shouting Logan at me constantly right wow okay yeah that's my interpretation of that in any event Logan is my favorite sound effect as well pretty good do you have any backups no nah, I mean there was a bawoom which I like because it sounds like bathroom yep that was my uh, backup yeah <laughs> But it was a pretty far backup. It was Logan yes, with a bullet. Not the universe saying don't be a creepo. It's just a boat exploding. Yeah. I mean, he was probably being pretty creepy then, too. Shit, do you think he put the explosives on that boat? Probably. If the boat really exploded. Oh, like he I, just used his magic hat to, to make, make, make people think it exploded. But then I think they would have eventually noticed that it hadn't exploded when he got back. I mean, because the other thing is... How did he get back from there? Did he turn into a bird? If he turned into a bird, wouldn't that make the Mento hat fall off him? And then he couldn't project the images anymore. Maybe he turned into an octopus and like held the hat on with some With one hand while he swam away with the other seven? Mm -hmm. That's probably it. They should have showed that, man. That would have been I know you don't get the reveal at the end that way, but I think it would have been worth it. Man, he is so duplicitous in this issue. I do not care for it. No, it's... It's really, really not okay. His behavior in this is borderline evil, you know? Like, not just misguided. I get that he's motivated by vengeance initially, but the reveal at the end that it's him behind this is more sinister than I think it's supposed to be. 
Mm-hmm. I think we're supposed to sympathize him to a certain extent. And the whole, like, holodeck horndog aspect of it is supposed to be played for laughs. It really comes off as very sinister. And uh, I hate him. So, with that being said, let's uh, let's get this out of the way. Every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Speedy? It may not surprise you that it was Logan, for reasons that I guess we probably don't need to keep no, on. No, no. I did have a runner-up, though. Was it Nightwing? And it was Nightwing. I had the same one. For a number of reasons, actually. We've talked about some of them. His doubling down and refusing to acknowledge that he had made a mistake is, I think, very telling of his character and very shitty. He also did something very uncharacteristic, which was, when he is under oath in the courtroom and asked if he can prove he is Nightwing, he did not use that opportunity to do some sweet acrobat stunts. Oh, missed opportunity. Really, missed opportunity and very uncharacteristic. He loves doing weird acrobat stunts. Mm -hmm. He does them all the time for no goddamn reason. And here is an opportunity to prove in court that you are who you say you are. With an audience. Yeah. Sure, I would have thought his old circus training would have kicked in and he would have either done some sweet acrobat tricks or, you know, robbed them all. Because, you know, that's how circuses work in the DCU. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy, enjoy. Mm-hmm. What were your reasons for having Nightwing as your backup? Well, not the missed opportunity about the acrobatics, but mainly for continuing to double down on being a bad listener and a jerk. Yeah. To Lilith. Yeah. We are in full agreement about his shitty behavior. We are really two peas in a poo. I think this comic was better than that. Let's be two peas in a pod. Okay. <laughs> Conversely, who did you have as your Aqualad? I thought Starfire did a great job because A, she was the first one to just, like, kind of slap on the forehead and be like, oh my gosh, yeah, we were total jerks. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Lilith. I can't believe we did that. And then also she flew around and shot Starbolts at all the stuff that needed Starbolting. So I think that's a decent choice. Um, I had Lilith as my choice for uh, removing herself from an unhealthy environment. Mm. Um, good for her. Hard to do sometimes, but a good thing to do. Yeah, yeah. She had that uh, that Neville Longbottom courage. Where uh, you stand up to your friends, which can be in many ways more scary than standing up to your enemies. So, well done, Lilith. I'm happy for you. I hope that you are able to hook up with your weird amnesiac angel buddy and maybe figure out what's going on with his weird and eldritch ding-dong. Corey, were you able to find a timestamp in this issue? Other than... It just being obviously very 80s on account of dress and just how people were. Mm -hmm. It just has a very 80s (laughs) feel to it. Yeah. Uh, No, I didn't have any specifics. I had one that was related to that. It was specifically Nightwing's haircut. Mm. I think it is most pronounced on page 20. It is that specific kind of a 80s pompadour that is somehow a conditioned pompadour that you only get with mousse and not hair gel. And it is very specific and very 80s, and he has it most pronounced, as I said, on page 20, uh, but also on the previous page, you can see it to an extent, where it's like, wow, giving me flashbacks I didn't know that I had as stored memories there. 
Yeah, if only there was some way to just go through all that catalog and get rid of the stuff like that. So yeah. Make room for, I don't know. <laughs> oh, come on, I just fill it with other junk. Yeah, but it'd be newer. It'd be more current junk. Newer junk. Well, look around at your surroundings. To I what extent have I filled my life with <laughs> new junk rather than old junk? Oh, well, that bag of wrap snacks is probably only 10, 15 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think specifically that bag of wrap snacks, which uh, features old dirty bastard from his Dirt McGirt era, is probably about, yeah, 12 years old, something like that. It was uh, produced shortly before his death. Damn. So. Yeah, that may be the newest thing in this room, is that bag of potato chips that I've been saving. Don't open it. No. Never open it. It's a collector's it. item. I just mean it might be dangerous. Both. So yeah, that was my timestamp. Uh, you said you instead went for a... a show and show tell. And tell. Yeah, we haven't done that for a while, but... That's true. There's the scene in which Beast Boy is freaking out and attacking Terminator in the courtroom. And throughout the entire battle, or at least at the beginning of it, Terminator is out loud explaining his uh his power set and just like giving the play-by-play on what he's doing in a way that people don't ever talk you forget who i am logan just as you forget my powers my reflexes are faster than any ordinary man's and he's like doing like handsprings and wrestling with a Mm -hmm. tiger my strength's been chemically increased thanks to the united states army do you think that the army maybe uh, brainwashed him a little bit? We've discussed the fact that they were doing some mind control stuff. He is trying to strangle a cat in that panel. Do you think that Deathstroke is being controlled by someone? In the DCU, that is probably the only option we have. If you're trying to strangle a cat, you're being mind controlled. Yeah, right? I wonder who's behind it. Hmm. Do you think it might be Beast Boy? Maybe there's a split second where he turns into a albino baboon. No, I think seizes. That's too nuanced for Beast Boy. Oh, he's a he's a master of deception, as we've learned. Yeah, but he's making a dangerous guy punch him in the face. Yeah, all part of the plan. Scheming Machiavellian creepo. The devil's I don't know. greatest trick is turning into a hypnotic albino baboon and making the guy you want to be set free from jail punch you in the face when you're in the form of a giant cat. Exactly. We all remember that quote from the movie The Usual Suspects. Yep. Corey, let's take this party to the Bozo. What instance of a character calling another character a Bozo did you appreciate most? Um, man, my favorite part was when Steve Dayton comes in and it's like, what the heck are you doing, Gar? After right, the, he yeah. heard Beast Boy Loganing in the other room. Yep. Yeah, the universe Logan, and uh-huh. he throws open the door. He's like, what's that noise? And uh, when he throws open the door, he says, you stupid little jerk. So true. That was so accurate. Yeah. <laughs> that was my favorite moment, maybe in the whole comic book. <laughs> to date? Oh, I don't know about that, but it was very satisfying. Ah, you stupid little jerk. Give me my mento helmet. Gosh, I think my favorite moment to date is still the syrup chugging. That was really nice. Back in the day. I think mine might be uh, Aqualad seducing the Loch Ness Monster. That was pretty good, too. Sexy legs. <laughs> All those gorgeous curves. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Sartorially speaking, we touched on the haircuts a little bit, but uh, what elements of fashion do you find noteworthy from this comic book? I liked uh, Lilith's outfit. It wasn't particularly 80s-y, 
but it looked pretty cool. She has a green dress with maybe a black turtleneck on under mm-hmm. it and like a little green uh, choker necklace. Yeah, it's a nice look. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. Like kind of goth a little bit, but... I think that's kind of her vibe. Like, I mean, Raven kind of claimed the full goth look, but Lilith is, you know, a little witchy, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Got that vibe going for her. A little hippie, little goth. Mm-hmm. It's a good look. It is. And it, it works well for her. I had a few things that I wanted to bring up. One of them is Beast Boy's courtroom outfit, where everyone else is dressed in their superhero clothes, which I'm not sure if we've talked about it in this, but I know that it's been established canon, I think both in DC and Marvel, that your superhero costume is akin to like a dress uniform, where it is appropriate for formal occasions if you are incognito. So the rest of the Titans showing up at court in their costumes makes sense. Everyone else taking part in the proceedings is wearing a suit. Beast Boy is wearing a windbreaker and jeans and a t-shirt. Disrespectful. He could be held in contempt just for that. Part of his plan, man. Yeah, all part of his plan. So many wrinkles. It's like, oh man, if I wear this windbreaker and jeans, then my testimony will be uncredible. Yeah, I'll discredit everybody with my bad fashion. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not bad fashion. I think it's actually a pretty good look for it's him. bad court fashion. It's bad court fashion. Yeah. yeah. He's very underdressed for the occasion. You're right, though, man. Wheels within wheels. Speaking of court fashion, I did. did what did you think the material that uh, the defending attorney's jacket was made of? Ooh. I think probably, like, polyester. Or just, like, maybe some kind of, like, solidified sweat. <laughs> Gross. In the uh, the copy that I had is the reprint and the colors are really punched up, but it was done in such a way that it looked um, to me like velour. Ooh. And I was like, is he wearing a green velour sports jacket over a sweater vest? Man, pretty I would cool. hire that guy as my attorney. Pretty slick. Seems like a pretty good attorney. Mm-hmm. He's doing a good job. Did a great job. Yeah. It really seemed like they were setting it up in the last issue that they were going to have the fake Deathstroke thing be one of his machinations. And then they just doubled back on that in this issue. I mean, maybe it was a red herring that they were purposefully planting, but we never found out what his plan was if it wasn't that. So that was a little bit unsatisfying for me. But back to fashion, I want to talk about Steve Dayton's outfit at the end. Oh, if pleats could kill. Man, yeah. He is, uh, he's dressed kind of like a number two pencil. Um, <laughs> but he's wearing like a yellow golf shirt, kind of. Not really a golf shirt. It's like a dress shirt. Yeah, he's wearing like a yellow dress short with some pretty impressive lapels. Uh, It's unbuttoned kind of. And then some of the most aggressively pleated pants I have ever seen. It's really impressive. It's like he went to his tailor and was like, I'm the fifth richest man in America. And therefore, I must have the fifth most pleated pants that have ever existed. Money is no object. I want to make sure that everybody knows that I live in the year 1985. And I can afford all the pleats. It's a bad look. It's a terrible look. But he is forgiven because he does call Gar Logan a stupid little jerk. (laughs) What was your favorite panel? I had a few to to choose from on, what, maybe page 19? There is the angel guy, alien. Yeah, amnesiac alien angel. Yep. Yeah, triple A is flying away and it's it's just you know i'm a sucker for any like 70s or 80s sun sunset in the background something in the foreground kind of kind of looks like that one uh led zeppelin album cover yeah yeah it does so 
at the Icarus b- before he's falling with a big red sun in the background and a colorful sunset. Pretty good stuff. I think both my favorites were close-ups of Cyborg. As I said, it's with the Giordano inks. He just looks really good in this issue. But we get one. It's super expressive of him saying, Grandma, what am I going to do with you? And it's this look of playfully loving exasperation that is really tricky to pull off. But Buckler and Giordano and DiCarlo really did a wonderful job in pulling off the nuance of that expression. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, I think the faces are good in this. The expressions are good. My other favorite cyborg panel is from when the Titans are hanging out and most of them are hanging out and drinking coffee. Cyborg is eating a sandwich and Cyborg is eating a sandwich super weird. He is biting away a tiny piece of lettuce that is sticking out of the outside of the sandwich. And it's just such a weird specific choice. It made me wonder if it was on purpose because earlier on the page, when they are looking for Beast Boy, he says, Damn you, Logan. What in the hell are you doing now? Starfire asks, no sign of Garfield? And he says, nothing. Not even a slime green fungus clinging to a wall. Is he worried that Beast Boy is hiding in his sandwich? Because it is the green piece of lettuce that is sticking up the side, and he's looking suspiciously at his sandwich as he bites the piece of lettuce? I wonder if Beast Boy has pulled that shit before. Is he worried that Beast Boy is hiding in his sandwich? I don't think so, because... Beast Boy, well, you mean like he would just turn into something green that would blend in with the lettuce? Because he can't turn into a plant. No, I mean, he says not even a slimy green piece of fungus. I wonder if he can turn into fungus. Like, there are certain types of fungus that are animals, right? Or are they all plant? Uh, my taxonomic classification's a little rusty. I don't know. Maybe he's worried that Beast Boy has turned into some kind of an octopus that's pretending to be a piece of lettuce. I don't know. He's eating a sandwich weird. He is doing that. And I wonder if that's why. It could be. It could be that Beast Boy can't do that, but he's got, it's in, he's in his own head about it. Because he said the thing about the piece of green slime before. He's like, wait a minute. I think he's just making a joke about Beast Boy being green. And so he doesn't want to eat lettuce now, or he wants to No, with the fungus. Oh, yeah. No, I know. But what's up with the sandwich then? Does he just eat sandwiches weird? Could be. Maybe it's a... The metal half of his face, like his mouth opens weird and you can only just like eat the lettuce out of the sandwich. I don't know. So well, wouldn't he then just pound the whole sandwich flat with his hydraulic fists? I would. And then eat it? I certainly would. Yeah, I would too. I wonder if he has a panini press built into his uh, robot arms. Oh, that'd be nice. It would be nice. I would maybe have them hold off on the operation at Star Labs if they're going to get rid of that panini press. Yeah. You can get a lot of use out of that thing. Mm, they can be hard to clean, though. So. Oh, I can see that being an issue. Maybe they are hard like, to clean. He's like, I always smell like fried cheese. I would bet that most of his parts are dishwasher safe. Hmm. That's got to be freaky for the other Titans if he just leaves them in there. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe he just eats sandwiches weird due to some kind of a mechanical malfunction. Maybe he thinks that Beast Boy is hiding in that sandwich like I think. He's maybe turned into some kind of a slimy green monster and uh, disguised himself as lettuce or he's some kind of an insect that camouflages itself as lettuce. I think that there are a lot of clues in this one panel. I think this is a real Chekhov sandwich situation. And we're going to find out what's going on with that sandwich eating proclivity later on. He's eating it so weird. He's eating it weird. 
Beast Boy, though, would endanger himself by hiding in such a way, no? Oh, and we all know that he only acts in a sensible way that doesn't endanger himself. You're right. My theory does not hold water, Corey. Mm. He's gonna go solo tackle the dude who murdered him that one time when he was part of a whole group that was attacking the guy together. I'm saying Beast Boy's an idiot. That's the sort of idiocy I expect from him, but not accidentally getting eaten. Because you hid in a sandwich. It has been established he is into some weird shit, some of it food related. Corey, I have but one further question I must put to you. Mm. Waput! In the year of our Lord, 1985, and the month of our Lord, June, what was Aqualad probably up to? Waput! Yeah, he's not feeling great. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. He's moping around. He and Beaky had a disagreement. Oh, no. Yeah, and it just escalated. You know how you spend a lot of time around somebody and sometimes little things become big things that didn't need to be? Yeah. Well, so they were talking about what was the best song at the time on the radio. Uh Uh-huh. And Aqualad was super in a Smuggler's Blues by Glenn Fry. Oh, he sure was. I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, Smuggler's Blues. Terminal condition. Terminal condition. Beaky, on the other hand, being a little more European, was was really fascinated with the kind of burgeoning, maybe even electronic music aspect of the song 19 by Paul Hardcastle, hmm. which is the one, you remember that? No, 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 19, 19. The average age of the combat soldier in Vietnam was 19. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that was a huge hit over across the pond. Oh, they got heated, they got to saying things they didn't mean to say, and Beaky took off. Oh, no. So, uh, Aqualad's moping around the dome, and he found a book, Aquaman had stashed away somewhere, which was actually one of the best sellers that year, which is Loving Each Other by Dr. Leo Buscaglia. I don't know if he's a doctor. Oh, uh, Leo Buscaglia? Buscaglia, yeah. He's the big self-help relationship fixing big man. Big into hugs. Yep. Yep, big, big hugger. hug therapy. So, it's alternating reading chapters of that, and, um... Playing Battle City on his computer. What's Battle City? Oh, Battle City was a hugely popular uh, first one of the very early first-person shooter PC games that oh. uh, came out of Japan. Cool. In, uh, in June of 1985. Good to know. So reading, reading Leo, <laughs> shooting some stuff, waiting for Beaky to come home. Ah, oh, did Beaky come home? Of course, Beaky. Oh, came. Beaky up. always comes home. Yeah, he does. They never did solve that debate. <laughs> What's a better song? I mean, that's a debate as old as time. At least (laughs) as old as June 1985. So it's interesting that you brought up Smuggler's Blues because that ties into the rest of what Aqualad was up to that month. Really? You see, that was not the only piece of music that he was influenced by because he also went out and bought the album Dare to be Stupid by Weird Al. I knew you were going to use that as well. And he was just so into that album. <laughs> and he just could not stop thinking about it. No, I'm like, like, it's young, so good. So good. Daniel Hubbard. That is true. It's a very good album. Even the non, non-parodic songs on there are very funny. But Aqualad was super into it. As you mentioned, he was also super into Smuggler's Blues by Glenn Fry, Also much like a young Nathaniel Hubbard. <laughs> and... He, he just uh, couldn't get those, those songs and Weird Al song styling out of his head. Speaking of music, a few years back, he had uh, done some time uh, hanging out with some country western stars. He had become a fan of Merle Haggard's. Hmm. 
Mm. Uh, via, he started listening. There's a Dean Martin album called I Take a Lot of Pride in What I Am, where Dean Martin does a number of Merle Haggard covers. Mm. And uh, Aqualad was really into that. And then so he had struck up a bit of a friendship with Merle Haggard through that, who he still thought of more as a songwriter than a performer. But anyway, Merle Haggard ended up taking a shine to Aqualad and invited him to his wedding that month. It was uh, Merle Haggard's fourth wedding. Married a woman named Debbie Perrette. And Aqualad was thinking, he's like, what could I, what should I do as a gift? What? And he consulted his pal Jericho, who said in sign language, Oh, the best gift you can give is a piece of artwork that you make yourself at a wedding. Which, not true. Terrible advice. But Aqualad took it to heart. Oh, man. And so he's like, well, what piece of artwork could I give to Merle Haggard? I know he likes music. So he decided to write his own song parody of Smuggler's Blues for Merle Haggard on his wedding day. Far out. So he wrote a sequel to the song White Lightning which was about uh, moonshine, Mm -hmm. and he called it Snuggler's Booze. (laughs) (laughs) And it was about how now that he was getting married, he was going to stop drinking White Lightning, and the only thing that he needed was his Snuggler's Booze. And uh, Merle Haggard was not appreciative, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is a damn shame. It was a very good song. Mm. Aqualad felt terrible and went and picked something out from the registry, which he delivered later on that month. But unfortunately, he and Merle Haggard really never made up after that. And he never did release the song, Snuggler's Booze, which is a damn shame. Because it was a hidden gem. Sounds pretty cute. Yeah, it was. It was heartfelt. Mm -hmm. But I think the real takeaway from this is, if you're going to a wedding, get something off the registry. There's a reason they registered for those gifts. It's about them, not about you. And that's what Aqualad was probably up to. Very good. I think Beaky might have given him a little bit of guidance in that regard. Yeah? Yeah, if he had been around. Yeah. He'd just been like, no, no, Aqualad. Get him that blender. Get him the blender. Mm-hmm. He needs a blender. We all need blenders. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. If you would like to reach us on other facets of the internet, well, you've got options. There's Facebook. There's Twitter. There's Tumblr. There's Instagram. And if you can't find us in any of those places, why don't you look inside your heart? There we are. Hey, who's that in your heart? It's us. Hello. Two peas in a four-chambered heart. Oh. (laughs) I wasn't going to call our listeners hearts poo. Thank goodness. No, it's nice in here. Yeah. If you would like to donate monetarily, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland for all your giving us money needs. If you do, you will get access to a whole bunch of bonus content. There's some little videos I've been making. In the most recent one, my identical twin brother, Gub, stopped by to help me uh, discuss issue 25 of Daredevil. Uh, You'll also get a ton of free bonus audio material, including the monthly podcast that I co-host with Lisa called What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. And also, it's just a nice way of supporting us and letting us know that you think that the content that we put out is worth us spending time on. So, thank you. Thank you. Is that all the things? I think that's all the things. The Snuggler's Booze. Pretty good. Yeah.
Oh, that wasn't Aqualad. For those of you listening at home, Aqualad just didn't swing by the studio and pop in. That was me, singing a poorly remembered version of Snuggler's Booze. It was never recorded. Hmm. It's just been passed out down by oral tradition. Good. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what the shit do you care, pygmy? <laughs> what is going on with that sandwich? <laughs> and they knew it. Oh, that's a that's a much better drip sound than. Ow! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have a sunburn on my face. That hurt more than I thought. <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs>